There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Before we get into the program, let me give a shout out to our sponsor, Rent with RightToBuy.com. This real estate service offers a new way to home ownership and allows you to purchase a home when you may not be entirely ready. It's a great option if your credit is not in the best of shape or if you're in a transition such as divorce or downsizing or relocating. So if this aligns with what you're looking for, visit RentWithRightToBuy.com. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately use in your life or your work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a dialogue and explore what's going on for you and how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn more about how to develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community to nurture your own passion and purpose, you're interested in the Women on Purpose Thought Leadership Summit and Retreat in Portland, Oregon, September 8th through 11th, 2019, or you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any, any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thank you for listening. With us today is Aparna Sain. She's a life and business strategist. She served as an advisor to help European startups enter the Silicon Valley in the U.S. market, working for EIT Digital. Aparna was also appointed as a fellow on innovation and entrepreneurship in the U.S. Department of State, focusing on President Obama's goal of building entrepreneurial ecosystems around the world, among other interesting experiences she's had. Today, Aparna brings her passion for mindfulness, meditation, and yoga to explore the inner dimension and create a life of purpose, passion, and joy. She also serves as the executive director of the Conscious Capitalism Washington, D.C. chapter. We'll be talking about conscious capitalism and the importance of ongoing inner work and meditation and mindfulness in our leaders or leadership. She joins you today from Washington, D.C. Aparna, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you so much, Elise. It's an honor to be here. Well, I'm so grateful our paths crossed. Um, as as you, you may know, I, I am a member here of the Conscious Capitalism Dallas chapter, and you and I interacted on LinkedIn about coming on the show, and we had some great things to converse over and some common interests, and I said, let's do it, and you said yes. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics, so especially working on purpose is uh, everything I live for and have for a long time, so isn't it great that we found this community of conscious capitalism? It's a great community to be part of, and with that, in fact, Aparna, I really wanted to open this conversation with the, the, the Conscious Capitalism Credo. I just think it's really fantastic. It's such an inspiring way to start. So here's what it says, listeners. 
We believe that business is good because it creates value. It is ethical because it is based on voluntary exchange. It is noble because it can elevate our existence, and it is heroic because it lifts people out of poverty and creates prosperity. Free enterprise capitalism is the most powerful system for for social cooperation and human progress ever conceived. It is one of the most compelling ideas we humans have ever had, but we can aspire to even more. Isn't that beautiful, Aparna? Isn't I think it's just, yeah. it's inspiring. It's something to, it's something to step into every day. Exactly. And it's just an honor that now we can, um, you know, it's something that I've played with for probably my entire professional life, but I'm so glad we're able to now talk about it openly in our, in our work communities, you know, and people are actually excited, seeking um, work and passion and purpose in their work. Absolutely. And, and I don't know if there's anything in particular that that statement says to you beyond what we just talked about. Anything about that statement really inspire and compel you? Well, I think for me, the most important thing um, that really inspires, uh, that is inspiring to me and why I uh, love this organization is because, um, you know. Mm. We're having a hard time hearing you, Aparna. You think your connection is not very good. Can you hear me? Uh, in position business, I would because. Sometimes business and capitalism gets a bad rap, but if it's done consciously, that's when we get into the deep learnings and the wisdom and and also be able to really create lasting impact. Yeah, you cut out there for a little bit there, so we may have missed some of that. Um, but before I forget, let me let me remind our listeners or tell our listeners that if you are listening live to this program right now on W4CY, you can use the chat function to interact with us and ask questions or comments. So um, those questions and comments will be directed to me. So if you want to do so, go for it. Um, so whatever you were starting to say there might cue up to what I was going to ask you next anyway, Aparna. But I wanted us to first talk about conscious capitalism. That's what a lot of this conversation today is about. So I think it's helpful for us to, our, to to distinguish for our listeners what we mean by that. So you're the executive director of the Conscious Capitalism DC chapter. I'm a member of the Dallas chapter. So help our listeners understand what does conscious capitalism mean and how is it different from just regular capitalism? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I actually, sorry, I apologize that we were cut off, but that's what I was starting to say is that what inspires me about conscious capitalism is that capitalism is always a major force for good. Um, I mean, there are so many ways in which ca- uh, capitalism has helped us lift ourselves from poverty, bring good for, you know, helping create massive movements of um, fighting disease. And now we're able to actually have businesses and organizations that pride themselves on being consciously oriented. So it's such an important, um, especially in this day and age, I think consciousness and capitalism coming together is really important because we want to create business that is a force for good. I think somewhere in there we lost track of the fact that capitalism was always intended to help and uh, lift communities off of poverty and and really alleviate some of the big social issues that we're facing in our time. You know, Aparna, I just am thinking about this, and I'm sure I won't get this right, but I'll get the gist of it just about right. So a couple of days ago, I read something in the Wall Street Journal. So this is, we're speaking on August 20th, 2019, and so it's a couple of days ago. And it had something to do with how in the SEC documentation, it used to be that um, the primary directive of companies was to deliver value for shareholders. And now that's been replaced by 
to also include serving employees, um, customers, and society at large, which I thought was incredible. I, I don't know when that happened. Do you know anything about this? This change? No. In fact, you know, I didn't know about the, the change, but it, it should have been a long time ago, right? Yeah, I don't think it was that long ago. So I'd have to, I should, maybe one of our listeners will be able to dig this up and let us know. It'd be great to hear back from the listeners if you do find that article in the Wall Street Journal that we're talking about here. So, uh, so next, I want to be able to bring this back to you again, because you have really quite a very unique lens on the world. So why is ca- conscious capitalism important to you such that you're the executive director of the DC chapter? Why, why do that? There's a lot of other places you can come play. Yeah, exactly. So for me, it's actually really important because I am really inspired by all things conscious. And so what that means is that I uh, have had a chance to work in a lot of different corporate settings now, and I've always been very, very driven towards success. But by the same token, I've always had a really deep practice, uh, a self-practice and a self-awareness practice. And now... um, with conscious and capitalism coming together, I think consciousness starts with the individual. So no matter what your role is within a company or um, what you're aspiring towards, unless and until we create a community of consciously aware individuals, it is very difficult to get into conscious capitalism. And I am inspired by the fact um, that I can take some of my Eastern wisdom around um, self-awareness, self-discovery, uh, mindfulness, and so forth, and bring it to the forefront in a way that we can create business as a force for good. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and, and again, to make this topic, which maybe for some of our listeners who are maybe new to conscious capitalism, bring it really more to a, a, a concrete or visible place for them, how does conscious capitalism serve communities? Well, so right now, I mean, in, in the way the organization uh, has grown, it, it's pretty tremendous, actually. I started out with uh, being actively involved in the San Francisco chapter, and when I moved to D.C. in, in a conversation with John Mackey, um, I, I mentioned that I would like to, you know, bring it to the Washington, D.C. area. And the way it really makes, um, is really important in business today is that uh, people are actually able to, as an organization, we have chapters all around the world. So we have 60-plus chapters all over the world. And we're able to bring this whole notion of business for good. Um, you know, it was started by the, the book that John Mackey wrote on conscious capitalism around Whole Foods and how when you walk into the Whole Foods store, the idea is to get away from just thinking of it as a grocery store but thinking of it as a playground for whole, healthy way of life. So when you walk into a Whole Foods, you notice that the produce section is the larger section, and it's almost like it feels really good to walk in there. It does. You invite the individual to really um, connect with the wholeness and the things that were kind of at the very core of our wholeness, like whole foods, you know, healthy fruits and fruits and vegetables and everything that contributes to creating a whole individual. And now with this organization, we are allowed, we're taking this whole message all over the world to talk about how important it is to carry that forth so it goes beyond our diet, but it also gets into other realms of our whole being. And one of the most important realms of that is our work and our professional life. So I don't know if you, uh, if you remember the quote around 
you know, someone said that there are two really important days in our life. The first most important day is when we're born. And then the second most important day is when we find purpose in our life and what our true purpose is. So each one of us has a purpose that uh, we are here for. And once we dial into that purpose, we are no longer in this frame of pushing ourselves, but we are actually being pulled and guided by our purpose. And so as an organization, we really um, also promote purpose-driven leadership. So people who are in line with their purpose naturally become better conscious leaders. And then those kind of people are really inspiring to work with and for. I completely agree, Aparna, and I just have to to chime in because, as you know, a big part of the work that I'm doing today is to help people to discover their passion, inspiration, and purpose and bring it into their lives, into their work, and absolutely into their leadership. And what I've been really focused on of late is I heard Karen Hoyas say that right now only 1% of the world is fully living their purpose. When we get to 3%, she says, human consciousness will be raised such that peace is actually possible. So I began to think that, well, what if our whole reason for being here on earth is to discover our purpose and then to struggle mightily to serve it and fulfill it and bring it no matter what it takes in order to make that contribution? What if that's the whole reason we're here? So I really do stand for helping people discover their purpose because I know the magic of that of what happens when they do. Absolutely. And I I love all the great work you're doing. And I mean, just imagine, I can't believe we're just at 1%. So just, you know, in order to get to a really consciously awakened society, even if we can move that needle just, like you said, to 3% or even higher numbers, imagine a world that would just, where everybody is truly awakened to their purpose and working. And, you know, we would be able to create, what we would be able to create is probably enormous. We can mount it. I think it's my, it would be mind blowing, and and I that's yeah. a that's a that's a vision and a future that I'm I'm willing to get up for every morning and work toward for sure. So, so t- with that in mind, then kind of going back to the overall gist of what we're talking about here, why do you think more people don't practice conscious capitalism or even work to find their purpose? Yeah, so it, it, that's actually um, a two part answer. So from a business standpoint, I think what what happens is. You know, when we are, we, when we live in a capitalistic society, a lot of the measurements are around the amount of money we're bringing in and the investor value that the shareholder value that we're driving towards. So a lot of times people think, well, if we're going to do that, we need to stay focused on that and not get caught up in some of these other things. And a lot of, there's a misconception there around if you are a consciously driven business, you're not necessarily going to be the most profitable business. You know, that business, somehow we lost track of the fact that business was always there for good and not necessarily something that has to be so cutthroat. It's not necessarily the survival of the fittest, but we're creating communities and really through healthy uh, competition, you're really able to create innovation and change and really create some good in in the world. Now, when we get into the individual level, I think truly uh, and totally honestly to find our true purpose in this world, it takes some work. It takes some digging. And honestly, it may not be such that 
Um, and at least in my experience, I've been touched that you're going to, you know, have a curriculum then that you're going to follow and it's going to get you into a degree program and then you're going to come and find a job. And so when you get into this arena of really playing with your purpose uh, on this earth, a lot of times it doesn't translate into a set position. And that's scary because it really... Um, impact your livelihood, your ability to, you know, you get tested all the time in terms of how are you going to pay your bills? What does that look like? We don't know the beginning, middle, and end when we're living a purpose-driven life. A lot of times we just have to kind of let it unfold as it does and evolve. And it can get messy, to your point. That was a that was a great access point, I think, for our listeners, Aparna, to help them get get access to maybe why their purpose hasn't shown up for them just yet. So thank you for that. And on that note, let's take our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Aparna Sane. She is a life and business strategist. She brings her passion for mindfulness, meditation, and yoga to explore the inner dimension and creates a life of purpose, passion, and joy with the people she works with. She also serves as the executive director of the Conscious Capitalism Washington, D.C. chapter. She joins us today from Washington, D.C. We've been talking about conscious capitalism, and after the break, we're going to get into mindfulness and meditation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Aparna Sane, a life and business strategist. strategist excuse me, She has served as, a, as an, an advisor to help European startups enter the Silicon Valley market working for EIT Digital. And today she brings her passion for mindfulness, meditation, and yoga to explore the inner dimension and create a life of purpose, passion, and joy. She also serves as the executive director of the Conscious Capitalism Washington, D.C. chapter. She joins us today from Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Aparna, for this uh, segment of the conversation, I wanted to focus on mindfulness and meditation, and I really appreciate the work you're doing in that space and couldn't agree more that these are really strong anchors um, for each of us to develop individually and certainly as leaders. So, I know you help leaders develop mindfulness as part of what you're offering today. Will you talk with us first about why this practice is so important as a leader from your vantage point? I think it's probably the single most important thing a leader can do. And the reason is because at the core of it all is a sense of um, self-awareness and um, discipline. I think a lot of leaders have a lot of discipline in their lives, but really a sense of um, self-awareness, which allows them to connect with themselves 
and which is the single most important thing before you can connect with others. So as a leader, once you're self-aware, and the more and more actually self-aware you are, the more enhanced your ability is to connect with other individuals, whether it be employees or even your customers or people around you. And then people that are self-aware, especially leaders who are self-aware, are true inspiration and they're pleasant to be around. They're people who you look forward to engaging with and working for and with. And then that actually, in essence, um, translates into people feeling safer to be more creative and more open, and that leads into a path of innovation and creativity. So in organizations, when you have leaders who are truly self-aware, um, they are also the leaders that inv- invite innovation and inspiration and creativity in the organization. And the best example of that is a leader like Steve Jobs, who although he was, um, he's also known as being somewhat short with people, but he had a strong self-awareness and mindfulness practice, strong enough so that he was able to really think outside the box and create lots of creative different things in different situations, but he was still able to be creative and innovative. And to this day, even as long after he's gone, we are able to really benefit from all that creativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read his 576-page um, biography, which was incredibly powerful to, uh, to learn more about his, Steve Jobs and his life and what he did. In fact, that was why I started using Apple products when I read that, by the way. Um, but, so, so for our listeners and me, frankly, how can we or how do we maybe help or help ourselves to develop into, into better leaders with developing mindfulness? How can we do that for ourselves or how do you do that with the people that you work with? Yeah, so one thing I suggest is um, the the simplest thing is starting to create uh, a little bit of time for self-awareness. So with mindfulness, as you know, mindfulness is a big movement around um, breath awareness and just kind of being aware of the present moment. So the breath allows us to come into ourselves and be aware of the present moment movement moment and the way for I recommend for leaders or individuals as a whole is maybe setting up a 10-minute practice before you even begin the day. And then once you get comfortable with that and start cultivating a little sense of self-awareness for yourself, but also then sharing that practice with your team. So starting, for example, each meeting, taking some time, maybe just even like two, three minutes as a practice and just breathing into that moment and just saying, you know, welcome to this space. Uh, welcome to this meeting and see if anything is arising for somebody or anybody and just kind of checking in and centering yourself as a team. So as a leader, I think it's really important once a leader feels comfortable and being self-aware to start showing up that way at work uh, or in, in any situation and just kind of centering yourself, taking two, three minutes and just being aware of that moment that you are embarking upon. And then that allows you to have a deeper connection with the individual or the groups that you're engaging with. And it also gives an impression that you really genuinely care and also want to be there. A lot of times, as you may notice, when we get into our speedy uh, modes of like trying to achieve something, we forget that we want to really check in and we want people to feel like, you know, we do care and we, their opinion matters and we're there for a reason. 
Yeah, that's beautiful, Aparna. I think any of us, I don't care how busy you are, can somehow find three minutes in a day to do that. That is that is very, very actionable. Thank you for that. Okay, now the next thing I want to ask you, and you just brought this up quickly in our, in our phone call, and I purposely didn't want to hear about it then because I want to hear about it fresh with our listeners. Um, how does mindfulness relate to the area of money? Yeah, you know, and I love talking about this because I think this is where the big paradigm shift takes place. Consciousness is a really important, um, or once you become consciously aware, you start to recognize that, you know, I used to, I have a deep spiritual practice and I used to think money is not, um, should not be a part of that initially because in a lot of spiritual oriented communities, uh, we tend to ignore money or we down, tend to downplay it play it. But as I have come back into integrating myself into the work world, I realized that it's not that money is not important, but it's how we view money. So when we come into it from an abundance standpoint, and we really start looking at um, what, you know, a lot of discussions around like the soul of money, or money as an entity that allows us to go deeper into all the things that are important to us. And start looking at, at, from an abundance standpoint, we're viewing money as this larger part of us. And, you know, we're a lot, that allows us to um, chime into and do the things that are important to us. Um, but it also is a really big part of us being able to share our message. So if even, for example, with this movement around conscious capitalism, if we didn't have some really impressive names on our board and people who have been truly successful in this capitalistic society, um, we would not be able to really create the impact that we've been able to create. So when we start looking at money as um, something that allows us to play in an abundant mindset, that's when we really start to view it as a tool and really something that, you know, and once we start cultivating a really healthy relationship with money, that's when we start to see more money coming into our lives. And I'd like to see more businesses view it that way too. So instead of thinking of like, you know, um, really competitive and we must get ahead, if we think about it as something that we're putting out that's attracting more money to us um, or attracting, you know, good attracts good and like attracts like. So when we start thinking about it in that kind of a framework, it really is a paradigm shift. I completely agree. And I think you're so right on that if you didn't have very successful leaders and companies within the movement, it would be a little less compelling for sure, or a lot less compelling. Such a great point. Um, all right, well, let's move on to meditation then. The other thing that, that I know that you're really focused on in your in your world is meditation. So first, why do you recommend pre- leaders practice med- meditation? Well, I think it's at the very, very core of self-awareness practice. So in order to be consciously aware, you've got to begin with yourself. So, you know, any kind of change, as Gandhi used to say, change begins um, with, with, with our inner selves. So um, once we start having a meditation, and I think what's happened with meditation is because it's so popular, people, we, we tend to make it really complicated I mean, if you think about it, meditation is the one thing that is super simple. It requires no money, no external tools, nothing on the external side of the world is required. All you require is a few minutes, whether it's five minutes, seven minutes, ten minutes, of just 
being aware of your breath and being aware of your body and your presence. And that's all that's required to create a practice of meditation. And we've made, you know, we tend to, we have so many fancy apps out there and it's, it's great to have them because it's really helped us popularize meditation and make it super cool. Uh, now I've seen people put meditation in their resumes just to give you an idea of how popular it's become. So it's, it's definitely a really important tool as an individual. But as a leader, I think it's extremely important because when people, and I'm so glad that some of the big leaders out there in the world have started sharing the fact that they've been meditating for like 10, 15 years. Uh, Mark Benihoff and a lot of other leaders out there are like, you know, we've been meditating for 15 years, but now it's become cool to talk about it in public. So I'm glad that leaders are sharing the fact that they have uh, a practice that allows them to be more self-aware and self-disciplined and really just connect with ourselves wherever we are. We don't have to be perfect beings, nor do we have to go into the Himalayas and go into a deep meditation practice. Although I do recommend that for people once we start getting comfortable with having a smaller practice, a, a daily practice, then I recommend people start playing with different ways of, you know, taking retreat every now and then and really coming into and pr- playing with what it would be like to have a, a longer sitting, you know, where you're sitting for um, doing a silent retreat or doing, if that's too daunting, maybe even just having a couple of days uh, like a weekend retreat of uh, just getting away from a um, lot of things. But one of the more important things to get away from uh, as a as a leader and as an individual is all the technology that we're surrounded with. So at least one thing is that, as you may agree, we are bombarded with so much external information these days. It's so important if when we can have a meditation practice to just get away and detach from all of that and just center ourselves. I completely agree with that. Um, Completely agree with that. In fact, um, I don't know if there's any particular form of meditation that you teach or recommend, but I will certainly share that I have recently begun uh, meditating, doing transcendental meditation, and I want to give a shout out to um, uh, my previous radio show guest, now now colleague, um, Paul Skinner, because he mentioned doing meditation, and I asked what kind, and he told me that. So I began that, and definitely it is a way for, talk about being in touch and self-aware and helping my body to relax and my nervous system to relax and then working toward, you know, using the, the mantra to get to, to pure awareness. It, it is definitely a beautiful addition to my life. And I, I did it, frankly, a partner because I was hoping to develop greater awareness, consciousness, and deeper spirituality. But whatever happens, happens. But I know it's a good contribution to my life. Definitely. I'm, I'm so glad you started that. I actually have my own form of meditation that I teach because I've spent a lot of time living in an ashram in India and where I've cultivated a deep sense of stillness and also um, silence. So I've done a really long silent sittings, like 21 days and so forth. Um, And I teach meditation um, as a really good tool for self-awareness and just also bringing uh, teams together. So when individuals come together in that way, Sometimes in the work uh, mind frame, we don't think of that. And then once people come together in that way and you start sharing and connecting that way, creates a really deep sense of connection with each individual on your team. 
How beautiful. How beautiful. And what a great way, as you say, to respond to uh, and shut the outside world, all the noise of the outside world that just connect meaningfully together. I think that's beautiful. With our last break here, here we go. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. I, we've been on the air with Aparna Sane. She is a life and business strategist. She brings her passion for mindfulness, meditation, and yoga to explore the inner dimension and create a life of purpose, passion, and joy. She also serves as the executive director of the Conscious Capitalism Washington, D.C. chapter. She joins us today from Washington, D.C. After the break, we'll hear something about how she does her work with inner work, actually her, her work with inner work in leaders. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Aparna Singh, a life and business strategist. She was focused, she was appointed to uh, as a fellow on innovation and entrepreneurship in the U.S. Department of State, focusing on President Obama's goal of building entrepreneurial ecosystems around the world, among their other very interesting experiences she's had across her, her career. Today, a partner brings her passion for mindfulness, meditation, and, jo- and yoga to explore the inner dimension and create a life of purpose, passion, and joy. She also serves as the Executive Director of the Conscious Capitalism Washington, D.C. chapter. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Aparna, I would love to be able to help our listeners understand more about what you mean about this ongoing inner work you, you so recommend and stand for for leaders. So um, in, our, in, our, in our previous conversation, we were talking about coming on air together. You distinguish the importance of the inner work of a leader versus that of, a tradi- of traditional leadership. So first, how would you characterize traditional leaders and their, per- their preparation for leadership? What's, what's that all about? What's that focus? Well, so I think traditional leaders, and I actually have an MBA, so I uh, remember like in the business schools and in different settings, we are taught as traditional leaders to um, to know more. You know, we, we're, a lot of the traditional leadership models are all about the education, the information, um, the work experience as we've had, and our ability to kind of showcase that and, and get ahead in the world. But traditional leadership models are all centered around our um, external achievements is what I, I have experienced and noticed. So now is when I've noticed that people uh, or even curriculums in universities are shifting to where the inner work is becoming uh, more important. So I think in the traditional leadership style, for example, um, and coaching is starting to play a big part in this. In the traditional leadership styles, I noticed that um, we were all about, you know, what kind of companies you work for. 
What are our achievements? Where did we, our degrees come from? And also that actually led to a behavior of feeling somewhat superior. You know, I have all these degrees and this experience, and so therefore I am the right person for this leadership position. As we shift our direction towards more of a conscious leadership model, we are starting to look at things like, you know, in order for you to be a conscious leader, you really have to be able to inspire and motivate your team. And you have to be inspiring and motivating to individuals in general, whether it be your employees or your customers. So that kind of a mind frame is what I think of as the more conscious model, where in order to be inspiring and to uh, be compassionate or even tap into your intuition and creativity, you have got to cultivate a deep sense of self-awareness. Self-awareness, some sort of self-discipline, and self-awareness being requires your ability to really understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses, and really play with that. So the reason I emphasize it so much and call it the inner work is because in some level it is work. It's something where you actually have to um, go into some practices of and hire a coach or have some sort of a spiritual practice or some different disciplines that allow you to engage with the good side of your personalities, your achievements, and so forth, but also things where you feel tested and challenged and really playing with that and seeing what your whole being is like in different settings and different situations. Does that make sense? It does. And I think the way you distinguish traditional leadership versus what you're up to and what, what both of us are up to was beautiful and really helps give something to our listeners and open something for all of us. So thank you. That was beautiful. Uh, and now when we go on to one of the things that you and I talked about is you, you really emphasize that today's leader, especially a conscious capitalist, it must cultivate creativity, compassion, and trust-based work. Completely agree with that. Why do you think these qualities and values are so important in today's marketplace and economy? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because one of the big buzzwords we've had around uh, in the business community for a while is innovation. And in order to be, and companies are spending so much, millions of dollars to become more innovative, uh, to create a culture of innovation, hiring the right brains to make um, their business and products more innovative. And, And the U.S. is a leader in the space of innovation, but the thing is to get to innovation, and innovation, the core of innovation is creativity, and to get to creativity, uh, you have to be willing and you have to have a certain amount of consciousness in the way we are as individuals. You cannot um, just force people to be innovative. It just is unheard of, right? So in order for people to be creative, um, you know, you have to have a certain element of trust. There has to be an ability for people to take risks. And one of the big things at the, uh, at the pillar of innovation is the ability to take risks and to fail. And, you know, that's a big four-letter word, but in order, once you feel safe to be able to fail or not succeed, that's when you can take bigger leaps um, and bigger risks in a business um, as an individual. And we in the U.S., in certain areas, like I've spent a lot of my professional career in Silicon Valley, and we, we always talk about failing fast. So... 
it's great. You know, you test things out. Um, if you fail, that's it's okay. You switch and you pivot, and we use a lot of terminology around that. And really, that really is at the essence of being able to be innovative and be able to be creative. Um, so those are some of the big qualities, I think, that are really important in today's marketplace. Innovation will always be important. But how we get to innovation is what um, really that consciousness really allows us to, to really cultivate and go deeper with that and create bigger innovation. So when you look at things like the Ubers of the world, you know, that's a huge shift in the way we, um, you know, in this whole shared economy play. And that kind of stuff we can only get to when we take big risks, when we feel safe in taking big risks, when we um, really chime into our creativity as individuals. And then feel safe bringing that to our workplace. Mm-hmm. I love how you distinguish that. I completely agree with that, and uh, that that then that then makes me wonder, based on what you've been talking about here, then is there a place for what you you've been referring to as traditional leaders in today's economy? And if so, where? What circumstances? Well, I think traditional leadership. I mean, there are still some really core. Uh, principles in traditional leadership. Um, one is like, I, I mean, it's nice to have um, the education and so forth, but now we're, we're learning that more and more, you don't need the traditional models of education, like the, you know, the, the um, Ivy League educations and so forth necessarily to ha- have a successful business. In fact, a lot of leaders, I mean, you look at Mark Zuckerberg, and a lot of people have dropped out of um, college to create these super successful businesses. So, um, you know, I think traditional leadership has a lot, a few valuable skill sets that we can still bring and have and cultivate. One of them is our ability to um, really take, um, to learn from our mistakes. So when you do have experience, um, that's when we start learning from our previous mistakes and we start taking more calculated risks. And we are able to then leverage that and still put frameworks and, you know, traditional leadership allows us to have um, kind of some frameworks and principles so that when we are being super creative, we're still able to take that creativity and bring something to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it's really valuable, having some frameworks. Um, you know, we have like things like in the startup world, we have the lean startup model. Um, and those are frameworks that allow us to, in a calculated way, take risks um, and learn and then still bring um, some tangible products to market. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's 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 really. I appreciate how you package that and situated how these different perspectives can work together and complement each other. That's fantastic. And as we, this conversation was playing out in, in my mind, I was thinking about what we might want to talk about. That just it drew me to another thing that I wanted to ask you about, given your space. So, among other things, I, I'm a social scientist. I care about what happens with, with the world, the people, and and I I'm always an inquiry about that. And I'm increasingly aware of the shift between genders in society as more women earn college degrees, they're increasing their earning power, and many becoming head of their households. And increasingly, more men are opting to stay home and care for the children. And so I'm wondering, is there some, I bet there's whispers I'm hearing about, is there testosterone being washed out of men in this society today? Okay. As we talk about, you know, mindfulness and meditation and conscious capitalism and such. What's your view on this conversational topic? 
Mm, wow, this is a really um, interesting topic. We could probably have a show all ourselves. <laughs> we could. Yeah, especially both of us being women. Um, I think that, you know, finally we're getting to a stage where we're starting to um, level out the playing field a little bit when it comes to the gender bias and so forth. Uh, we're, I mean, we're so far away from it, but I think, you know, with more and more um, there's uh, – People uh, as a competitive advantage, businesses are making it easier for women uh, or people to work from home. People, they are making it easier um, and providing uh, opportunities for, even if you're not working from home, you know, uh, providing coaching and a lot of support in organizations that allow us to um, make sure that we are being supported so that um, women are not feeling so tapped when they're in the professional workforce and they're also mothers and they're wearing all these different hats. So that can be really draining and straining. So, you know, really I think now workforces and businesses are allowing and creating um, a, a framework where we can show up as whole individuals and really to leverage that we need to become more whole. Mm. I notice like well-being is becoming a really important part um, of corporate offerings. And actually a part of that, I teach a lot of corporate uh, mindfulness meditation and even full-body yoga because uh, it allows people to disengage and engage with themselves in a way uh, where, you know, once you bring your body into it, you start to have a whole another level of awareness. Uh, and intelligence. Um, but, you know, I think it's really allowing women to flourish more in the workplace. Um, there are things being set up. I mean, we're still a little ways away. It would be great to see our first female president come on board um, at some point, and that will really help us um, level out the playing field. But in the business world, I think women are being more supported. Um, also, the way uh, we are viewing the roles of men and women is changing, just as you mentioned about the earning power of women is increasing. And so men are actually sometimes feeling okay to be able to stay at home and take care of the kids if that's what inspires them and that's what's being pulled, they're being pulled that way. So, um, you know, some of these old gender biases are being um, are being kind of falling away and we're allowed to uh, be whole whoever and however we wish to show up in the world. I really appreciate that. I'll just quickly comment because we're almost out of time. Um, I am very interested and attracted to the idea of androgyny from the sense that I love that I think it's wonderful when women can embrace their masculine energies and men can embrace their feminine energies. And to me, maybe that gets to what you're speaking of, the whole person. Uh, that's what I would hope that we're we're navigating to. So I thank you for, for dancing with me on that question. I just wanted to, to dangle it out there and see if, what we could kick up. So thank you. That was beautiful. So uh, our last question here we have time for. You know this show is about helping people across the globe more meaningfully and purposely connect with their lives and their work. What would you like to leave listeners with today? You know, the one thing that uh, I would love to have our listeners listen to, there are a lot of fancy words out there. There's mindfulness, there's meditation. There are all of these things out there. What I would like to leave the listener with is in order to be a conscious individual or even have a self-awareness discipline and practice, simply start to engage with your heart more. So um, 
I cannot emphasize enough the importance, whether you're a man, woman, whatever background you come from, the importance of really dialing into your own heart and really looking at that as a way of showing up as a whole being. We spend a lot of time as professionals in our head. Um, We want to all achieve, and I, I get that totally. But really listen to your heart, especially when you look for purpose at work. What is your heart telling you every now and then time? Take some time and just even walk out into the nature and start listening to your own heartbeat and your own heart tweets and messages and then let them light you up from the inside out. That is beautiful. And then I would, I just have to add that if you're going to listen to your heart, then you can be grateful that it's beating as it is each and every day. What a beautiful way to finish, Aparna. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom, your heart, your soul with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Elise. I really enjoyed it. I love talking about purpose. Yes, me too. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Aparna Sane or connect with, with with her or the work she's doing, the best way to reach her is her email. It's aparnasane at gmail.com. Let me spell that for you. It's A-P-A-R-N-A-S-A-I-N at gmail.com, aparnasane at gmail.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Adrienne Court. She's the Chief Human Resources Officer at Alchemy, a digital banking company of 500 alchemists known for their intentional culture that inspires meaningful work, connectedness, innovation, and retention. She shared with us just open open robe what they do there and really is, des- is, des- is desiring to be able to get more people creating meaningful cultures like that, which is part of the work that I do as well. So I wanted to showcase her for that reason. Next week, we'll be on the air with Mike Roos, talking about how he turned himself around after serving time in prison and the large and full life he has since created afterwards. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.